All right. I apologize that we're still out of a uh, projector. Well, not actually, the projector works fine. It's the laptop that's dead. But we're going to keep on marching anyways. So I hope you brought a Bible. If not, there's extras in the back you can grab. And uh, we're going to be in the book of Acts tonight. Can you grab this? I don't know why this was up here. We're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 32. So we're going to cover a little bit of ground tonight. And the title for tonight's message is Stepping on Toes. So it seems that uh, Jesus and his disciples did quite a bit of that. And there are times in our lives where we're in situations and we either act or sometimes choose not to act because we might step on a couple of toes. So we're going to look at this passage tonight. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week, talking about um, the apostles worshiping openly in the temple, that they were shaping the space around them with their worship of the Lord. And we're going to see uh, how, how do the Jewish leadership react to this type of worship? How do they react to people coming to faith and joining in with the apostles and serving the only living God? So Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 17, it says, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. Oh, I'm sorry, that's verse 12. Verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. And they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them, uh, brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things. They wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Now, the captain, uh, then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked him, saying, Do we not, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. So And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given 
to those who obey him. So before we start looking at this passage, I think there's a little bit of a lesson I think we can put in here. And that is, I want everybody to understand that there is actually a difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Is everybody aware of that? There's a, there's a pretty big difference there, okay? So they're both Jewish leaders. However, the Pharisees, the reason you, you hear of them more and more in the Gospels is because the Pharisees were out among the common people. In fact, they were the champions of the common people. They were the one that people rallied around, wanted to be like, right? They held uh, most closely to what we would say the doctrine of the Old Testament says. And they wanted to live a life that made the law of God applicable in every possible situation. Every possible situation. In fact, when the Romans were putting in new government over Israel and trying to, you know, kind of mix in their cultures, it was the Pharisees who were the most, um, what's the word? They were against that. They were the ones trying to conserve the truth of who God is. So the Pharisees in themselves are not necessarily bad guys, right? The Sadducees, however, Sadducees were quite a bit different. They were, they were the elite, right? Many of the, most of the Sadducees came from wealthy families. They were political families, okay? They were the aristocrat, uh, aristocrats, aristocrats, that's a good movie. But, um, so they were men of, of position and, and prestige, not only that, but their, their doctrine and their practice of worship was much, much different. The people didn't like the Sadducees that much, unless you were also rich, then maybe. You see, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in things like the resurrection and eternal life. They didn't believe that God's hand was going to intervene in our lives. It was all up to human will. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in so many of these things, and they were much more willing to kind of shape and conform their belief. In fact, historians can't necessarily pin it down, but it seems to be that they really only took the five books of Moses, the law of Moses, as law. And anything else was kind of just, eh, whatever. No real authority. Oh, good Lord. Yes, that is why there is sad, you see. Okay. Someone had to go there. There it is. So... In addition to this, because they were the prestigious people, they lived very close to the temple. Most of them were priests. And they held their power and authority by help, helping govern the body of Israel and by governing the temple affairs. So while Pharisees were very concerned with God's law in every part of your day, the Sadducees were really just concerned about the temple. That was their shape and form of worship. And everything outside of that was whatever. So it's very important to understand that when it says in verse 17 that the high priest rose up and all who were with him and they were all Sadducees. And they were filled with indignation and they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. It's very, under, it's very important to understand that. Why? Because it begins to give us some insight in why was there so much struggle and strife between the Christians and the Jewish leadership. See, what we went through last week in verses 12 through 16 
is not just that there are these Christians out there and they're preaching Jesus, but no, now they're doing it in the temple, in their turf, over their authority, and they're proclaiming a different doctrine. And they are assembling a gathering behind them. And that, that is the primary reason the Sadducees were filled with indignation. Because these Christians are coming in and starting to step on their toes. In a place where they already don't have a real big, you know, public following as it is. They're already fighting with the Pharisees. And here's these Christians, these untrained men, these low-class fishermen, coming in and getting in the way, stepping on the toes of the Sadducees, right? They're coming into their territory. And so it says again in verse 18 that being filled with indignation, they threw them into prison overnight. Now, here's, here's an interesting question. Let's look at this. So these apostles, did they do anything wrong? Did they sin against God somehow? Maybe we missed it. Maybe it wasn't written in there. I mean, to me, it looks like they were being faithful. They were worshiping the Lord. They were doing it openly. They were proclaiming the, the, the kingdom. You know, the sick are being healed. The demonized are being relieved and set free. And yet again, for the second time, they're in prison. And they're locked up, right? And you're like, well, what is going on here? This doesn't, that doesn't sound like a blessing. Where's the blessing at? And it's interesting, I was thinking, you know, what would our conversation be like if we were sitting in jail? What would it be if we went down to Walmart or down to Entertain Mart or what a lame name. Anyways, one of these places here in town and we started witnessing and people started coming up and they threw us in jail. Or if we were on college campus or if you were at work and you told someone about Jesus and they threw you in jail. I wonder what the conversation with you and your friend would be. And I can imagine it'd be pretty easy for, for us to start saying certain things like, Man, maybe we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> you know? Man, maybe we should have just been quiet. Maybe maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe we should move along or move somewhere else. Is this isn't is it is it really worth it? I mean, right? It's easy to see in that situation that people would react like that. But it's interesting how God responds to the moment. You see in verses 19 through 21, it says, But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those who were with him uh, came, called the council together, and all the elders of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. So, it's kind of interesting to me, by the way, that these men are thrown in, into jail by Sadducees who don't believe in angels. And lo and behold, an angel is sent by the Lord to, to free these men. Right? But it's interesting that these men who have been faithful, they've been following the Lord, and now they're in a Man, they're in a sad place. They're locked up. You know, this is the second time. They don't really know what's going to happen. You know, Peter was told by Jesus, 
you're going to be crucified and you're going to be led where you don't want to go. So every day Peter's waking up with that understanding, hey, this might be it. I'm in jail again. This might be it. You know, they don't know what's going to happen. Yet God comes, he sends an angel and he tells them, continue. He says, go out, stand back in the temple where you're receiving the most trouble and proclaim all the words, all the ways of this life. Man, that tells me that regardless of the struggles, regardless of the strife, regardless of the resistance, or rather or not they felt like they were wrong place, wrong time, that they were exactly where they needed to be doing, where they needed to be doing exactly what they needed to be doing. And this, I think, is important for our life because there's a lot of hardships. There's a lot of setbacks. There's a lot of even sometimes persecution with family and friends. And sometimes we can think, man, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe you're, you're, you're trying to share your faith or you're trying to live a Christian life and it's becoming difficult and people aren't hearing you and you're like, man, what's the point? But the hardships, the setbacks, and the persecutions for the apostles, just like they are for us, were more opportunities for witness. They were not pitfalls and they were not signs of disasters. In fact, many times it's going through these, these setbacks, it's going through these hardships, it's going through times like them being put in prison and then the Lord shepherding them out. It's that that becomes the testimony. Because our words, our testimony of our words is just the beginning, but then people have to look at your life and they have to test, is what you're saying true? And so a lot of time there's a season of sowing and there's a season of reaping. And there's a whole lot of middle ground where we don't always see things happening. Or we think we see some things budding up and other things are falling down. And it can be discouraging. But they were exactly where they need to be. And it's, it's interesting that also I want to point out the angel didn't say go preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did y'all notice that? He didn't say, go proclaim, you know, the resurrection. What was it that they were commanded to do? They They were commanded by the angel to go and proclaim all the ways of this life. You know my favorite little one liner that Jesus gave me? My favorite little one liner is the gospel doesn't stop at the cross, right? And Christ has something for every day, for every moment, for every situation of your life. He has a promise for every issue, for every hurt, for every pain, for every fear. And he is the God who sanctifies. He is the God who takes the dirt, molds it, and makes it a beautiful pottery, right? And he is the God who puts us on a straight and narrow path and lets us and empowers us to walk in righteousness. And there's a lot of a lot of different things in our life 
that we come up to where we have to choose righteousness. And so this angel is telling them not just, yes, proclaim the gospel, but guess what? Proclaim all the ways of this life, all the ways of righteousness, all the ways of goodness, all the ways of restoration, of healing, of peace, of joy, all the ways of the Lord. And that to me is a little freeing. Now, why the heck would that, what is, what? To me, that's freeing because there's more than sharing the gospel. There's more than being a witness to Christ than walking up to them, hitting them with Jesus died for your sins, you're going to go to hell and hoping you get a response. There's more to that. There's relationships, there's sowing, there's watering. And many times in situations where you're with the same people every day or where you're around a lot of people in the same place over and over, you have the opportunity to show the truth of who Jesus is in small situations. You can show people how to trust God rather than be filled with worry in small situations. You can tell them why they should turn away from drugs and alcohol and how God can fill them and give them purpose in small situations. You can lead them to prayer in small situations and just start declaring to them and showing them in your own life all the ways, all the ways, all the ways of this Christian life that God has left us to walk in with his spirit. And the doors are suddenly open for us as witnesses. But I already mentioned that's a bit ironic that uh, they send an angel to rescue these men from other men who don't believe in angels. It's pretty cool. But I want you to think about what just happened. I want, let's go back to the, the <laughs> you know what? I'll tell you what. I, I remember the first time I was sitting in jail. I remember that. That really sucked. Okay. <laughs> It really did. There's this feeling in the pit of your stomach where you're just like, dang. <laughs> that was a bad idea. Okay, that's the mild version. But I don't care how hard you are. You can, I mean, I didn't, you know, I walked in like it was no big deal. I walked out like it was no big deal. But it still sucked. And there's a lot of situations in life where we get stuck in, where we, where we lose ourselves, we lose our way, we make bad decisions, maybe it has nothing to do with us, maybe life falls on us and we're sitting there and you've got this feeling in the pit of your stomach, maybe you felt like you failed, like you're not useful, maybe you felt like your efforts were in vain, you want to give up, you want to go home, you want to do whatever and it sucks. And God sent these, in that situation, God sent an angel to tell them, you know what? I'm going to take these chains off you. And this is not disaster. This is not setback. This is not wrong place, wrong time. You go back to where you were, and you go back with more desire, with more passion. You go proclaim. You keep doing what you're doing. Man, that would be encouraging. I'll tell you what, no angel showed up for me when I was in a jail cell. But I also, I was, I mean, I deserved to be there, so it was a different story. But uh, that would be encouraging. 
Think about that. What if the next time you felt like you messed up, the next time you felt like you weren't being useful, the next time you were down and out, an angel showed up to you and said, rise up. You're a child of the Lord, and he wants you to go back. He wants you to continue. There's work to be done. That would be encouraging. That would be encouraging to me. Right? And I'll tell you what, man. I'm not an angel. I know I look like one. (sighs) No, not really. I'm not an angel, but I have a message that God has put on my heart for you tonight. And if nothing else, I am a servant of the living God, and I come in the name of Jesus Christ. And the message I have for you tonight is that wherever you are, whoever God has put you with, whoever your family is, wherever you're living, whatever your situation is, even if it's bad, even if you need to get out of it, even if you're being led out of it already, that at least for this moment, God has put you there. You're exactly where you need to be, and he has a purpose for you now. You don't have to wait till tomorrow. But he wants to encourage you. He wants you to shake off the chains, to stand up, and he wants to speak into your heart. Go back and be faithful. Because God's work it was, is, and is to come. With nothing missing in between. And he wants to use you. Right? God is, your, your job, your family, your friends, whatever, God has put you there. And he has a purpose. It may not be the place you want to be, but God wants you to be faithful in the midst of that situation until he moves you out. Right? See, God is looking at us at all the points in our life, and he's looking to see what are you going to do with the people and the opportunities that are in front of you. How are you going to react? How are you going to respond? Are you going to respond as a child of God? Who has the the never-ending faithfulness of the creator of heaven and earth? Are you going to respond like that person? Are you going to respond as someone who knows their fullness is in Jesus Christ and not in the temporary things of here and now? Are you going to respond as someone who knows they can go to the Father and be filled and not look for it in other people and men and women and relationships? He's going to look at your life and say, how are you responding faithfully now? Because Jesus tells us in Luke 16, 10 through 12, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous things, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? We have to learn to stop allowing ourselves to be pulled down by our situations, to stop complaining about what life has dished us out, to stop complaining about our company and blaming other people. We have to start looking at how can we be faithful where we are because that's what you've been called to now. And God has amazing things for you tomorrow. And if your situation sucks right now, God has greater things for you. But he says, if you're not going to be faithful in the small things, who will give you? the larger ones. And so we have an opportunity to change our perspective and to allow the Spirit of God to encourage us, the Word of God to lead us forward. 
Because God is in charge. He has a plan for your life, and that includes today. It doesn't start tomorrow. It doesn't start when you graduate. It doesn't start when you get a career or a family. It starts today. Actually, it started before the foundation of the world. But it includes today. Verses 21 through 28. We'll start uh, 22 through 28. But when the officers came and did not find them in prison, they returned and reported saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them saying, Look, the men who put you in prison or uh, the men whom you put in prison, are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Whew. Now I want you to notice God's own apostles that God did not let them off without testing. He did not remove struggle from their life. He did not remove the opposition from their life. Rather, he allowed them to go through those and he used those things for his glory. And so we also see here the second reason why these Sadducees, and now all the rulers of Israel, were angry at the apostles. First, because they're stepping on their toes. They're coming into their territory. They're, they're amassing a gathering. But there's more than that. Look, in verse 28, they say to these men that they have filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. And they intend to bring this man, Jesus' blood, on us. Listen, folks. I don't care what people say. I don't care if they claim just to just be spiritual or if they're Buddhists or if they're atheists. I don't care what the excuse is, right? It all comes down to this simple, simple reality. And it's the reality that outside of Christ, we all know that we are guilty and that the conditions of our choices and lifestyle are wrong. And we know it. And so the world cannot stand being confronted with the truth about sin and about a living God. Because the moment they have to stand face to face with that truth, then they have to become accountable for their actions. They have to admit that they're guilty. And they have to obey or reject openly the truth. And they are not comfortable doing that. Because when we're accountable, we have to come face to face with the fact that every single sin, every single mistake, every single failure, just one and every one, makes us deserving of an entire lake of fire that is forever and ever. 
and that's not a very convenient reality. And so here are these, these men, these Jewish leadership, these people, these educated people of God are not willing to face this reality. So to accept this teaching, to accept, to have the people accepting this message is to accept and believe that these people, just as we would have to accept, are guilty of the blood of the Son of God. And that is what it comes down to every single time. And so it's bad enough that these apostles are, are teaching and preaching in, in these people's, what they believe is their temple. But every miracle, every baptism, every new Christian validates the reality they're preaching. And that is why people hate Christians. It's not because we're hypocrites and bigots and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, people say that, but it's like, that's not really the main issue. Okay. The main issue is that people who really love Jesus and have given their life to him, their life proves a reality that people do not want to encounter. That is the issue. And as our lives begin to witness to this truth, we too will inevitably, inevitably step on other people's toes. So it's very interesting. You say, look, man, we already told you, man. You, you need to calm down, man. It's not cool. It's pretty much what they said, right? <laughs> but they said, man, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and now you're trying to make us guilty? It's not going to happen. <laughs> that was funny. And, uh, and this is how they answered. Verses 29 through 32 last couple of verses. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our father raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So it's very interesting. They say, look, you're filling this place with your doctrine and you're trying to bring, up, bring it back on us saying that we're guilty. And I love this, man. The apostles take it straight back to the point. You know, don't ever get caught up arguing foolish things with foolish people. Okay? It goes nowhere. The book of Proverbs says, do not answer a fool according to their folly lest you be like him. Of course, then it says, answer a fool according to his folly lest they be wise in his own eyes. So they get an answer. The apostles tell him, in a nutshell, you know what? We're going to obey God. And guess what? You are guilty. You murdered the Son of God and you hanged him as cursed on a tree. You are guilty. You have to understand that that's what they're saying. You are guilty. But Jesus, the one that you killed, Yes, your sin and my sin put Christ on that cross. And we will stand before God. Without his forgiveness, we stand before God guilty of that bloodshed. And that's a reality that the world has to be made aware of and that we cannot afford to sideline. Yes, you are guilty. But this Jesus who died because of you has been raised again. 
with all power and authority. And he's come back to lead you to repentance and to forgive all your sins. Not to hold you as guilty. But to lead you into repentance and forgive all your sins. They took it back to the cross. And so this is God's desire for us. To simply be aware of the circumstance. Be aware of the people that God has put in your life. The people here in this room. The people you don't see too often. Think about who has God put in your, on your life and then why? Why are they there? Was it an accident? I don't think so. What about your family? What about your coworkers? What about your classmates? God put you in their life for a reason. He put you there. Your situation in life, God put you there. And he wants you to be faithful where you are. Right? And he wants you to speak out and exemplify all the ways of this life. To declare, yes, there is guilt and there is sin, but Jesus was put on the cross so you didn't have to bear that guilt yourself. To declare that Jesus has the power and authority to forgive and to free others of guilt and condemnation if we are only to repent and to be willing to lead people into repentance. And you know what? Having love like that for the people around you, guess what? You're going to step on people's toes because not everybody wants to hear that even if there is a good ending. But sometimes... That's what God has called us to. To step on people's toes in the name of Christ so that the Father will will be glorified. And finally, to know that God is with you, his hand is upon you, and he wants you to shake off your chains and walk with him again. To walk with him again. You know, this hits home for me because I've been thinking about Shriner and I get a little discouraged sometimes. I don't have enough time or I say I don't have enough time, or I'm not doing enough, or some of the people I've talked to, it's been fruitful. A lot of them it hasn't been. And so when I read this, and there was a calling from, from God to shake off the filling of your flesh, what does that mean? And for the Lord to speak to me and say, you know what, you go back and you be faithful to what I've given you. That was encouraging to me. And that's what he's calling us all to do. So I want to leave you with two things. I want to leave you with with one, a reality, and two, a question. The reality is that you have everything you need right now where you are to be faithful to Christ. I don't care what the situation is. You have everything you need right now where you are to be faithful to Christ. The only question is, are you willing to be? And I pray your answer is yes. So stand with me and let's pray together. And if you have situations that you need to be delivered from today, I want you to cry out to the Lord and ask him to deliver you of those things. I want you to to ask him if you need to be moved, that he would move you. If you need new relationships, that he'd give you them. If you need old relationships fixed, that he would fix them. But in all things, I want you to ask the Lord to make you faithful where you are right now, tonight. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your inspiration, your encouragement, that everything you say and do is true and is good. 
And Lord, we want to lift up our hearts and we want to declare mostly to ourselves, but also to you that, yes, you are always with us. Your hand is always on us. And your power and provision is more than enough, Lord. Forgive us, cleanse us of all sins, Lord, and fulfill the scripture that says you have given us a power or a spirit of power and of self-control, Lord, among other things. And let us walk with you in that as we become faithful witnesses, Father God. So, Lord, we, uh, we obviously, we don't desire to step on anybody's toes. We don't desire to be hated. That would be foolish, but, Father, I do want to desire more to love you. And I do want to desire more to see people the way you see them and to act righteously, even if I do have to step on some toes. And so I thank you that it's your work and your love that guides us in all things. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.